Thank you, Amber and Rebecca, for leading us in worship. So good, so good to come before the Lord tonight in this time of worship and getting into his word together again. And you know, ladies, um, on this first night, we're just getting it out of the gate. So we, we have two gathering times on this first night from here on out. It'll just be one in the morning and in the evenings. You can see that on your schedules. But we just want to say from the very beginning, this retreat is about being in God's presence and being in his word. And so we just jump right in. So you're feeling it. Like we're, we are just jumping right in. And I think we've gotten off to a great start. We enjoyed a wonderful dinner. A big shout out to Julie B and her girls back there, right? So glad to be able to join together. And I know at our table we had some rich conversation, and I hope you did as well. And you know what? We have, um, you might have noticed, we've got um, two Julies on our team, and we've got two Nicoles on our team, and that's just in our staff. But I don't know if you've started picking up on this. We have got some major double and quadruple even names going on in the room. There are actually three Julies here and a Julia. There's two Beverly's, two Emily's, two Kelly's, two Laura's, two Laurie's, two Amy's, three Rebecca's, and two Sharon's. And I may not have gotten them all, okay? So good luck with all that, all right? No, one of the reasons we give your name tag, which don't look at me as an example because I don't have mine on right now, but um, we give your name tags and we personalize many of your things because we want to get to know each other. We got to keep all this straight, you know, in one house. I mean, have you ever lived in a house with 56 other women before? <laughs> Probably not, unless you've been to fall, but we'll get away. All right, but we do want you to utilize those things and just keep your eye on them. And if you've got that double name, just keep, Keep your eye on your things too, all right? But remember earlier when we gathered together tonight, we talked about those first two verses in Matthew 5, how Jesus saw every single person, right? In that crowd, and how he sees every single one of us too. And he shared many timeless truths that day up on that mountain, and he has many timeless truths to share with us here at the beach this weekend too. Truths that really, if you have said yes to Jesus for salvation, well then we should be saying yes to these other truths he's sharing as well. So we're gonna go back to Matthew 5 and we're just gonna continue on. And as we do, let me remind you, you've got that note sheet in your folder. Okay, you wanna get that one out. It's the one that at the top, it says his yes, our yes. That's our second session. And you might also wanna grab out that copy of Matthew 5 through 7 from the NASB too. And as you pull those things out, you're gonna see we've got that box coming down the way, all right? Like I told you earlier, there's things in this box from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is gonna use to feed us. See, we might feel physically full, but he's got some spiritual food to give us tonight. So let's look inside. And we're gonna start with this very first thing and it is the word blessed, okay? Blessed. And we're starting with that because that's the very first word that Jesus starts with. It's the first word out of his mouth in verse 3. And what we're going to find is that Jesus is going to make nine blessed statements over us, okay? And statements that you're probably familiar with being called the Beatitudes, right? And it's because the way that Jesus phrases all nine of these statements are as if they are attitudes that would set us up for blessing. Actually, if you'll leave that open, we're going to need to do that. Yep, just to keep everybody 
awake and um, and comfortable. All right, we heard some of you were warmer earlier, so we want we want to keep that open for you. All right, so if you if you feel chilly, next time you come, bring a little bring a little sweater or something like that. It's hard to keep 56 women in the room <laughs> all feeling good, right? All right, so these statements, these nine statements, are attitudes that seem to set us up for blessing, and that's exactly what they are which should speak something to us right from the get-go about the heart of Jesus. See, remember, this is one of the first teaching times since he's been on the earth, one of the first moments that God has opened his mouth in over 400 years, and what's the first word out of his mouth? It's blessed. And not just one time, but nine times. That's what he is pronouncing over us is a blessing. And so here is something else in the box as well. And it is the word yes. Yes. See, because we want to see that before Jesus ever asked us to say yes to him, we need to see that he already said yes to us, right? Yes to bless us. He wants to bless us, ladies. And so he's going to invite us into nine different attitudes of heart that are going to position us to live in his blessings. See, these nine attitudes of heart literally will set us under the outpouring of his kingdom, just pouring out on us. And the cool thing that we're going to find is that they really are a picture of the gospel of Jesus. And I want to show you that tonight. You're going to see there are actually two pictures in, the, in these Beatitudes. They're a picture of us receiving Christ in salvation and they are also a picture of us moving forward in day-to-day -day life in Christ and living in the gospel. So there's a whole lot to see here, but as we jump in, make sure the very first thing you see is that Jesus said yes to you. Yes to bless you. And then we're gonna work our way through these Beatitudes and there's gonna be plenty of opportunities for you to say yes right back, right? So remember, you've got that box down there at the bottom where you can be writing some of your yeses, hopefully all of them, that the Lord speaks to you about and let's fill that box up, all right? And go on the back if you have to, all right? So, Stephanie, I'm going to ask you, I'm not sure where you're at, I'm going to ask you to get us started, and Stacy did such a good job, and I know you are going to, too, and everybody else that's going to be sharing your verses with us, but just verse 3, okay? okay. Just verse 3. Blessed are the foreign spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Beautiful. Awesome. Now, we're all aware that the word poor describes somebody who's lacking, right? They're under-resourced. Um, they're needy. But notice Jesus didn't just say poor, right? He said poor in spirit. So he's not talking about a poverty of tangible, visible wealth, but he's talking about a poverty on the inside. Now, in this crowd, there would have been a lot of people probably who were really poor physically, and there's probably some that are, you know, somewhere in the middle, and then there's probably some that were pretty wealthy, but none of that really mattered because what Jesus was talking about was that spiritual wealth or poverty, and at this point in history, every single person in the crowd would have been poor in spirit, even if they didn't see themselves that way at the time. <laughs> and the reason we know that is because at this time frame in history, every person on the planet would have been spiritually dead because Jesus hadn't even died for the sins of the world yet. And the uh, being spiritually dead would actually be the epitome of spiritual poverty, right? You couldn't get any more poor than that. See, the Bible teaches us that before 
before we receive Christ, our spirit, we all have a spirit, we were created with a spirit, that part of us that was supposed to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit was dead because God is not going to dwell in the place of sin. And all of us, all of humanity, we're all sinners. So in relationship to Jesus, that is actually where every single person starts, poor to the core. Now we all know some people don't want to acknowledge that, right? Some people never acknowledge that. But for those who do, for those who say, yes, Jesus, that's me, right? I'm poor of spirit. What is the blessing that he invites them into? It's an open door, right? He's holding the door open and saying, come into my kingdom. Now keep in mind, this crowd was just getting started in their knowledge of Jesus. At this point in history, they would have had no idea of the crucifixion, no idea of the resurrection, no idea of Jesus' salvation to bring their spirits to life again. I mean, the prophets had prophesied different things, but they were not seeing it, especially at the beginning. So none of this had taken place, but even though they didn't have any idea, hopefully we have an idea about those things, right? We know, and we know that Jesus knew exactly why he was here. He knew what he was there to do, and he knew he had come to bring this kind of salvation to us. In fact, the Bible tells us that was his plan before he ever even created man. He had a plan to save us because he knew Adam and Eve were going to make that choice that was going to land every single one of us into spiritual poverty. And so his plan was to come to earth and say, yes, yes, I will save you from yourselves. I'll rescue you from your spiritual poverty and I'll bring you into a place of blessing in my kingdom. Now, remember earlier tonight, we defined the kingdom how as three things, what righteousness, peace and joy. So when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, he's essentially saying, for everyone who will acknowledge their poverty of spirit, this humility of being before God and just laying it all open and saying, I am. I am literally dead without you. You stand in a place of blessing. You're going to bring me your poverty, and I'm going to give you my kingdom. You're going to get all the amenities of my kingdom. You're going to get righteousness, you're going to get peace, and you're going to get joy. Now, do you see the gospel here? It's right in front of us, ladies, because that's exactly how salvation begins for every single one of us, right? We acknowledge our need before Jesus. We say, I'm dead. I'm spiritually dead without you. I can't do life on my own. I need you. And then Jesus mercifully says, yes, you are spiritually dead, but come into my kingdom. And I'm going to give you righteousness, right? I'm going to sacrifice for you. And God will now see you as righteous. So your spirit will come to life again. Your sins are going to be forgiven. And I'm going to give you my righteousness. And I'm going to give you the power to live in my righteousness all the days of your life. Peace. You get to have peace with God now. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you. And you can enjoy the peace that I give you every day for the rest of your life. Joy is going to spring up on the inside of you like a fountain, and it's never going to stop flowing. You're not going to be poor anymore. You're going to be very, very wealthy in my kingdom, in my righteousness, my peace, and my joy. Okay? I mean, that's good stuff, right? Now, the people on the mountainside may not have known any of these gospel realities yet, but we do. So if we look, we can clearly see the gospel right from the very beginning in these Beatitudes. And being poor in spirit is just the beginning. 
It's how we come to life in Christ. But you know what, ladies? It's not just how we come. It's how we need to continue to live. Because every day, I don't know about you, but I wake up pretty needy. <laughs> I still need him. I still have places where my, my life is getting in line with the righteousness, peace, and joy, where I'm learning how to grab hold of it. So I come to him daily and I say, Jesus, I need you. And as we do, he continues to just pour out the wealth of his kingdom, his righteousness, peace, and joy. It's like his new mercies that the Bible talks about every day, right? He just gives them to us. It's a blessed way to live in the kingdom. But here's what also takes place when we acknowledge how poor we are. We mourn, right? We look at ourselves in the mirror and there's grief. Which is why he says what he does in verse 4. So, Stephanie, will you share that one for us too? You get two turns tonight. <laughs> yeah, they will be comforting. Now, mourning doesn't sound like a place of blessing, right? The kingdom is backwards a lot of times. It really is. Jesus says it is a place of blessing. How is that? Well, like we've said, when you come to Christ, you look in the mirror, you see your poverty of spirit, and then you realize, wow, Look what my sin has done, not only to me, but to the people around us. We also look at other people around us that we love and we see their sin and how it's affected them. I mean, it brings grief. Sin brings death. Death brings grief. So it's only likely that that would happen. But the blessing in the gospel is that Jesus tells us in our mourning, we find what? We find comfort. And what is the comfort? Jesus himself, right? He comforts us as in our poverty. We come and we bring our grief and he embraces us with comforting words of salvation. And he says, my righteousness can fix all of that. And that's what he does in our salvation. It's very comforting to know your sins have been forgiven. It's very comforting to know you and God are at peace. You're not in this awkward position anymore with God that you belong in his kingdom, that you have a place at the table in his house, that your life is now eternally secure. I mean, there is a lot of comfort in that, isn't it? I mean, can anybody say amen? I mean, that is comforting, right? So there's salvation comfort for sure in this blessing, but there's also the blessing of knowing we live in a place of comfort with Jesus. Because how many of us know life continues to bring about grief, right? Just because we get saved, it doesn't mean that everything's beautiful. And so we wake up daily with different um, mourning and different grief and the beautiful thing about the gospel is when the Holy Spirit then indwells with us one of the Holy Spirit's name is that he is the comforter right so when we mourn we're not just mourning on our own we don't mourn without hope we don't um, mourn without comfort we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us who is the comfort. I mean, why wouldn't you say yes to that, right? Why wouldn't you say yes to going to him with your grief and yes to the other blessings that follow? Because for those who say yes to those first two, this momentum starts to build in your life of what starts to happen in the kingdom and these blessings just start to flow. See, look at what he says in verse 5. Melinda, just verse 5. Will you share that with us? Blessed are the gentle Right. Blessed are the gentle. Okay. Some versions use the word meek here. You might be more familiar with that. I believe both of those words are appropriate because meekness is really a disposition of strength that manifests itself in our attitude in a very gentle way. Right? Now, gentle is not the way that we think in the kingdom of this world about somebody being strong. 
right? In the world, when somebody is showing their strength, they rise up with control and independence, right? And, and this sense of power. But strength in the kingdom, where righteousness, peace, and joy reign, that kind of strength is very different. Strength in the kingdom is not seen in somebody rising up with control and independence and power. It's really visible in the person who gently just leans into the arms of their powerful God. They trust his strength, not their own. See, instead of assertively and independently trusting in ourselves or putting our trust in all the other options around us, we meekly, we gently trust God. I like to say it like this. It's a, it's a statement the Holy Spirit gave me as I was just seeking him to say, what is this? And this is what he said to me one morning out on a prayer walk. He said, it's a rest, not a wrestle. It's a rest, not a wrestle. And Jesus is saying, if you will live that way in relationship to me, gently trusting me, leaning into me gently, not fighting me. Have you ever had a child like that you, you eventually won, but it was a wrestle? Like, you just, like, were having to, ugh, come on, child, we're going to, my son, when he was little, he was so strong-willed, and there were times, like, for almost an hour, my husband would just, like, be holding him so tight, and he would just be fighting, and eventually, he'd give up, and he'd just rest, you know? I think that's the way a lot of times we deal with God. Like, he, he, he's showing us what he wants us to do, and we just wrestle, 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 and then we finally just give up, and we lean into him. That's not meekness. Meekness is when we see what God's saying, we hear what God's saying, we see where God's leading, and we just go, okay, and we just lean right in. There's no wrestle because we trust the arms of our Heavenly Father. We were never made, ladies, to have to wrestle the earth for its blessings. See, do you see what the blessing is there? What is it? They inherit the earth. You know what? When the God first put Adam and Eve in the garden, what did he do? He gave them freedom to enjoy everything in the garden, all that he had created in the earth. And he appointed it for us. And Jesus is saying, you know what? In my kingdom, when you will just lean into me and trust me, it's all yours. Again, you can have it. You don't have to strive and strain to show this like false sense of strength. Just trust me. Will you say yes? If you do... You will gain the inheritance of the earth. That's the way it is in his kingdom. But not only that, he also says, I will fill you up. See, listen as Melinda shares that with us too from verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Awesome. See, when babies are born, what's the first thing? They're hungry, right? <laughs> they're hungry, they're thirsty. And we come to life in Christ, in spiritual birth, you know what? We are hungry. We're thirsty. We're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. We're hungry for a food we've never eaten of before. And Jesus satisfies that with himself. And that's really the substance of the gospel. See here again, the picture of the gospel and these blessings. He fills us, sinful people, with his righteousness. But we have to also see once we're saved, as we live in the kingdom, you continue to get hungry. See, he used this analogy because hunger and thirst, like we eat breakfast, we eat a snack, we eat some more lunch, then we have a snack, then we go get our coffee that has all kinds of cream and foam and sugar in it, then we get some more, and because we're hungry and thirsty all day long. Sometimes that is even um, really intense, right? Like you get hangry, right? Okay. Well, you know what? There's that sp spiritual hunger and thirst is not like just one time in the morning, five minutes a day. 
you know, and then you, you're, or once a week, you know, build that spiritual. No, hunger and thirst is something that happens inside of us physically, daily, continually, and intensely sometimes. And in the same way, that's how it is in the kingdom. And as we are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, Jesus is saying, the blessing is, I'm going to provide it. I'm going to give it for you. Righteousness inside of your own life and how you're living and thinking and feeling. Righteousness around you. You know, Jesus can set things up. He can set things up for us to be blessed. And he wants to. He longs to. So we don't have to live in these unfulfilled, unsatisfied, discontentedly, just plodding on day after day, dealing with all the sin around us. It's so hard. I don't like it. No, we live in a place where we have a continual filling of righteousness. There was one year, Fall Bible Get Away, I don't remember which year it was, but it was filled up. That's what we talked about from Ephesians. And the Lord gave us this image of a faucet. And he had spoken to me so clearly that year in some really broken places that I was. And he said, he gave me this little faucet, like, you know, those little red metal faucets you see on the side of a house. And, and it was an image he gave me in, in a very deep prayer time. And he, and he showed me, in your salvation, I've given you a faucet. Just turn it on whenever you want, whenever you need. It's there. And the other day as we got here to this beach house and I was tired and just had a lot going on. It actually was before we even got here. It was that morning. I was sitting at my counter. I'm like, oh, my goodness, God, I don't know. And I just sat there at the counter just going, all right, God, I'm just turning that faucet on because I need to be filled up today. And that's the beauty of the gospel. In the way we live, we can get filled every single day with his righteousness. We can be filled with it. Let's keep going. Amber, will you share just verse 7 with us? What does Jesus say there? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Awesome. A person described as merciful is somebody that's full of compassion, right? They're full of forgiveness and understanding. Now, more than likely, I wasn't there, so I don't know for sure, but more than likely, that posture of heart probably didn't describe the people on the mountain that day, the majority of them, right? Just like it probably doesn't describe the majority of people in our culture either. And that's because as humans, our natural inclination is not mercy, right? It's not mercy. And yet Jesus is saying, oh, there's so much blessing in living in mercy. And he also knows the mercy he's going to pour out on us that we're going to receive, right? When he was speaking to the people on the mountain, it hadn't happened yet. Actually, it was very merciful that he even came to earth, so he had. But this mercy that was going to be poured out when he died for them, for us, that, that's like mercy beyond compare. Do you see the gospel here? Again, it's right there in front of us. And then he's letting us know there's this flow of mercy that happens in the kingdom. And it's really a beautiful flow that he's inviting us to be a part of. To receive that mercy ourselves, but then to live in that mercy. Now, every one of us who've received Christ and salvation, we have received of that mercy, right? And he blessed us with his salvation and all the blessings that come with it that we don't deserve. So he's been merciful to us. And now he says, here's your invitation to turn and pour it right back out as well. See, we are also going to encounter people who are poor in spirit. We're going to encounter people who are needy who really deserve punishment, who are hungry and thirsty. And what Jesus is saying is, you've been given mercy so you can actually let it flow right back out of you. And there's great blessing in that. You receive mercy, you send it out, and he, what do you get? You get more mercy. And it's just this flow that you live in continually when you live in the kingdom. That's the way the kingdom life is supposed to look. 
Are you seeing the many opportunities to say yes to Jesus? Yes to the kingdom. It's a very different way of living than the world lives. If you're seeing them, write them down if you're willing. All right, let's continue with verse 8. Amber, you got that one too. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Yeah, so we're still in these blessings, right? Still eating on that stuff out of that box, okay? So right from the very beginning here, we need to see that Jesus is addressing the heart. It's going to be a very big deal here in this sermon because our hearts matter a lot in the kingdom and we receive blessing when our hearts are pure. Now there's no doubt, right, that Jesus has to purify our hearts when he saves us. Without that, I mean, there's no hope for any of us to ever have a pure heart. And he's the only one that can do that kind of purifying. He saves us and purifies us. But it's also an ongoing work that has to continue to happen, right? Because we are existing right now in the kingdom of this world and our hearts get muddy every single day. And we need Jesus to cleanse our hearts. Have you ever tried to clean up sin in your own life on your own? It never works, right? We don't have the power. We don't have the equipment. It doesn't work. And so day after day, we have to come to Jesus and yield our hearts to him and ask him to cleanse our hearts and give our hearts a bath. But here's the thing. It's not always easy to want to do that. And sometimes kind of like a toddler or a middle school boy, we can be like, eh, I don't want a bath today, right? Have you ever had a toddler that doesn't want a bath or a middle school boy that stinks and they're like, I don't need a bath, mom. I'm not that bad, right? You know, I'll deal with it later. I don't stink as bad as him, right? We do that as women a lot. We're like, oh, well, I'm not as bad as her, right? And so we just ignore the bath. Spiritual baths are not like going to the spa. It's more like Jesus comes in with a pressure washer and like, you know, I'm going to get you today because you are a, a hot mess. But the person who's willing to let Jesus deal with their heart like that, and it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable. But the person who's willing, Jesus is telling us something so precious here. We get the most amazing blessing. We get to see God. And there's so much blessing in seeing God. We get to see his hand moving in our lives. We get to see his heart. We get to see his ways, his truth, his kindness. Our eyes are open up to all of that. We get to see that God loves us. Not just that he loves the world, loves the crowd, but he loves us. And you know what? When you see God in these ways and many more, it takes your breath away. And at the same time, it gives you breath to keep moving forward day to day. Seeing him is so worth every bath you'll ever have to take. Every time Jesus needs to pressure wash you. And I say pressure wash on purpose because when he comes in to purify your heart, it puts pressure, right, on your feelings and on your thoughts and all those things. But it's so worth our yes. It's one of the biggest blessings of kingdom living to be able to have your eyes open to see God. And God wants us to see him. He is high up in the heavens, but he's opened the heavens and opened up our hearts, if we're willing, to let us see him. As Jesus looked at the people sitting on that mountainside that day, he knew they had not seen God in a very long time. In fact, none of them ever had, right? He knew as a people that they had been created for fellowship with God and it was so lacking. So he is just longing to bless them. Like longing to say, come on, let's, let's, let's get a bath today so that you can see me, see God. And he was just waiting for their yes, like he's waiting for ours. And he continues on. Verse nine, Rebecca Wood, that one's yours. Will you share? Yeah, blessed from the people. 
Yeah. Peacemakers are people who make it their business to operate and spread peace. Notice I said they make it their business. They take ownership of this responsibility in the kingdom. See, Jesus calls these people blessed in the kingdom. But why would somebody even want to be a peacemaker? I mean, what would motivate somebody's heart to even want to do that? I think from this word here, from what Jesus says, it reveals who they really are, what their true identity is. See, just like with mercy, people who have received it, they're willing to give it, right? And people who have been given a gift of peace with God, well, they make it their business to multiply it and spread it. See, the ones who have experienced the gospel of peace in Christ are aware, so aware, they didn't deserve it. That God took the first, made the first move, right? And he came and made peace with them. So they take on this responsibility of being an ambassador of that peace. And because of that, everybody starts to say, what's different about them, right? They must be a child of God. And that's exactly what Jesus says the blessing is. You, become, you begin to be identified as a child of God. And they do that because they can't help themselves, right? They're working in what I would call the family business. The family business is peace. God's all about it. And they want to share the goodness of their father because they've been living in the house and being with God and experiencing his peace. And so they just have to give it. See, peacemakers live with this kind of knowing. I'm a child of God. I, I belong in the kingdom. I have a place here, a responsibility, and a purpose. And they value that so much, they'll even endure persecution for it. See, look at verse 10. Rebecca, share that one with us, too. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Yes. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yep. Now it sounds really backwards, right? Really backwards. But actually, Jesus expresses the same attitude in two of the blessings. The first one, found in verse 10 that Rebecca just shared, but also in the next one, verse 11, which Rhonda has. So will you share that with us, Rhonda? Yes, blessed. <clears throat> blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on me. Yep. Jesus knows that people in the world, ladies, are going to turn on people who seek righteousness. They just are. But he wants to declare this blessing right from the very beginning. That in his kingdom, people who will be willing to stand for righteousness, even in the face of persecution, are going to be highly valued. See, persecution, he absolutely knows you're going to get it. Because all of us get persecution from the enemy of our souls, right? He is the accuser of the brethren. He gets in our head. He tries to get in our hearts. He makes our life um, awkward and miserable sometimes. I mean, we, we, we all go through that. So we're going to get that. But also, there's times when people in the world are really going to persecute us. And if you're not aware, there are believers all over the world who are being severely persecuted, even in this day and time. And it absolutely could happen here in our country as well. In fact, it is happening already in some ways. His first position, or his first blessing, sorry, already positioned us in the kingdom of God, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. And we have the blessing of knowing that as we live and move in this lifestyle of our salvation, even to the point of persecution, we have a great reward coming in the kingdom. See, that was verse 11. It said, you will be, be glad. 
Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is what? It's great. It's a great reward coming. Do you see how Jesus said yes to us? You may have never thought of it like that before, but he said yes. He said, yes, I want to bless you. He wants us to live in these things. And I hope our heart is responding back to him with many yeses here, because this is where it all starts. It all starts right here. That day on the mountainside, that's where Jesus started. And this evening, as we begin our Yes Weekend, this is where it starts with us too, with blessing. May it be crystal clear in our minds. Do not miss this. Jesus said yes to bless. But may it also be crystal clear to us. It's in our best interest to say yes back, right? To say, yes, I want these blessings. To say, yes, I am poor of spirit and I want your kingdom. To say, yes, my sin is great and I need your comfort of salvation. Yes, I'll trust you with my life. I'm not going to trust myself. I'm going to gently lean in and not wrestle. So you make, start making these yes statements to Jesus, these declarations of yes, and also the other six that I didn't just mention again, and then you're walking out the Christian life in these attitudes he's described. See, really, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is all built upon those nine blessings, and Jesus expounds on them more and more of what he said. So as he continues on, you know what? He doesn't just say yes to bless. He also says yes to redeem us. See, in verse 13, he says some things to us about ourselves. He tells us who we are. See, in verse 13, he said, you are the salt of the earth, right? Beautiful picture of salt here from the box. You are the salt of the earth. And there's a lot of things that that really means. We'll talk about some of those more throughout the weekend. Verse 14, he says... You are the light of the world. Now, did you notice Jesus didn't say you should be the salt of the earth or you could be the salt of the earth or you, you should be the light of the world? What did he say? He said you are. And he should know because he's the one who made us. He's the one who created us. The Bible reveals Jesus is the creator. And so when he created us, he was intentional. And he made us to be salt and to be light. So think about what salt and light do. Let's start with salt, okay? Salt especially brings flavor, right? It brings flavor. So as salt, we were created to bring flavor to this world. That's who we are, all right? And light. What does light do? So many things, right? I made a list one time of like 30 things that light does. We're not going to get into all of them right now. But let's just look at the top one. And I think it's that it reveals. As light, we were created to reveal the glory of God in the world. That's who we are. But Jesus' words here reveal to the people of that day and ultimately to us too, that we're not living in the scope of who we are, in our purpose. See, let's listen to the fullness of what verse 13 says. Nicole Brown, will you share that with us? Yes. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is um, no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. See, Jesus is implying in that, ladies, that we've lost our flavor. And what about light? Laura Van Dyke where you are, but will you share verses 14 and 15 with us?
Yes, so good. See, did you hear what that said? When he speaks about hiding our light, he's basically saying, why are you not shining yours, right? Mm -hmm. So why is he saying these things to the people? Because he's looking at them, and they're not living out the nine realities, the nine blessings he just talked to them about. See, when we see, say yes to living out those nine things, those nine postures of heart, like salt, we flavor the world with the knowledge and the goodness of God. Like light, we, we beautify it by revealing his glory. But that was not happening then. The people of that day, Jesus is telling them, and this hurts, but it's true. He's telling them, you have become tasteless in this world. So tasteless that you're really not worth much anymore except to be thrown out and trampled by men. And ladies, if you didn't realize this, that's exactly what was happening to the people of that day. They were living in a land not their own. They were under an intense, cruel, barbaric Roman rule, and they were literally being trampled upon as a people. Their light had become hidden because they were so afraid to shine what little bit might be left in them. And you know what? Maybe some of us feel just like that tonight, right? We are well aware that what God created us to be is not how we are living our lives. Well, listen closely because Jesus is just starting to open up their eyes to the hope that the gospel brings, the hope of his redemption. Because what he's really saying is, I see your brokenness. I see that you're not flavored at all anymore. I see that you're not shining your light, but I am the one who can make you salty again. I am the one who can bring your light out into the open again. Yes. My plan is to redeem. And he means every single word he says. In fact, he goes on to say just that in verses 17 and 18. He says that he has come to fulfill every word ever spoken by his father through the law and the prophets. In other words, he tells them in verse 18, everything God has ever said is going to be fulfilled in me. Now that's a pretty like brass statement to make. I mean, that is a major thing. And so this is really another yes. He's saying, I will keep my word. Yes, I will do that. And you know what he also says? I want you to keep my word as well. And that's our next thing out of the box. The word keep. This is a really powerful word, this word keep. And we're going to see how this word keep is so important for us. So that's why it's in the box. See, as we read in verse 19, we start to see how important the words of Jesus are in the kingdom. They are literally our invitation into experiencing the great blessings in his kingdom. This word keep is it. See, we see it right here in verses 19 and 20. Mandy, will you share verse, just verse 19 with us? Ladies, we need to see Jesus is putting people into two groups here. Now, I know we're all tired, but I want you to follow along with me because I'm going to show you these groups, all right? I'll explain. Let's first listen to verse 20, though. Amy Cross, will you share that with us? Yes. Um, For I say unto you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. 
See, the groups are represented by what people did with Jesus' words. So to see the groups, what we're going to do, we're going to start in verse 20. So you might want to make sure you're looking at that verse, and we're going to work our way backwards into verse 19. So in verse 20, Jesus said, I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you, you can't get in, right? You're not going to enter. So right there, you got two groups, right? You got those who enter the kingdom and those who don't. And it almost sounds like, bless you, it almost sounds like nobody ever could, right? Because entry into the kingdom required you to have a greater righteousness than the religious leaders. And in this day and time, they were seen as the epitome of righteousness. So like who could ever be able to surpass that, right? But let's look deeper because Jesus is really saying to enter, when he says that, to enter the kingdom, your righteousness has to surpass the Pharisees. He's really saying two things. First, he's showing every person in the crowd their need. In other words, their poverty of spirit because he knows that most of the people in the crowd know they cannot measure up to that standard of righteousness. And he knows they know it, right? So they've got an obvious need. But what he's also doing is saying to the religious leaders who are very self-righteous, what you got, it isn't enough either, right? And also Jesus is just starting to unravel this false perception that the scribes and Pharisees are the standard of righteousness because they absolutely are not. Jesus wanted every one of them sitting on the mountainside that day to know the only way into his kingdom is a righteousness way far surpassing what they could even think about. And it would only be found in one place, in him. He knows he's going to die for the sins of the world. He knows he's going to offer them their right, his righteousness so that they can come into the kingdom. That's right in line with the very first blessing when he said, what? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? So, so verse 20, here's your two groups, all right? Those who enter the kingdom, when they come to Jesus and they say, yes, I'm poor of spirit. I need your righteousness. It's the only way I'll ever be able to have the surpassing righteousness that I need. So you've got that group, but then you've got the group who's like, no, I don't need that. I'm good, right? I'm good all on my own. They won't acknowledge their need. So those are the two groups in verse 20. But in verse 19... Now you got two more groups. You've got two groups within the group that actually gets in. Are you following me here? Okay. So you've got, in verse 20, you've got those who enter, those who don't. And then once you get those who are inside, then you got two more groups in verse 19. Let's look at what they are. The first group is those who are least in the kingdom. The second group is those who are great in the kingdom. And what is it that differentiates them? It's what they do with the words of Jesus. Did you catch that? He said, people who annul his commandments and they teach other people to do that too, those people will be least in the kingdom. It's not that they don't, they're not in it. They just are least in it. And I think that means they experience the blessings in the least of ways. But people who keep his commandments and teach them, these people are great in the kingdom. And I think that means they greatly experience the blessings of the kingdom of God, the righteousness, the peace, the joy, right? As I personally have meditated on this, I've, I've marveled to realize it's Jesus' intent for me to enter his kingdom. Like he said, yes, he wants me in his kingdom. 
And I've marveled to realize it's Jesus' intent for me to be great in his kingdom. It's even hard to say that, right? Like, but Jesus wants me to be great. And by that, he means that he wants me to greatly experience all of these blessings we've talked about tonight, right? He wants that. It is his yes to me. But I have also been so humbled, and, and I marvel at this too, to realize what I do with his word determines the outcome of all of that. And those things are not just true just for me. They're true for everyone. See, in verse 19, we all get the same invitation, ladies. We all get to choose what group we're in. To enter the kingdom through his righteousness and be great in it. To enter the kingdom through his righteousness and be least in it. Or to not enter it at all because we deny our need for Jesus altogether. The blessings are totally dependent on his yes to us. His yes to be our salvation and bless us. But my yes and your yes determine how much we receive of them. I hope that makes sense to you. I'm going to assume that everybody in the room can point to a moment of salvation where you first said yes to Jesus. We talked about that even tonight at our tables, right? We have come to Jesus, and maybe you didn't say it just like this, but there was that acknowledgement that you needed Christ, you needed salvation, and in so doing that, you were born again. You, you became a Christian. You're in the kingdom. Now, my assumption could be wrong. And if you've not made that very first yes to Jesus, I hope you're going to make that this weekend, right? And I or one of our leaders, we'd love to talk to you about that and see you take that step into that group to be in the kingdom. But how many of us know there are many yeses beyond the first yes, right? In fact, there are hundreds of thousands of yeses. Like you could say, yes, yes, a thousand times yes, right, to Jesus. Because Jesus has said so many words. I mean, definitely in this sermon, but really so many words beyond it. And what we do with his words determines our place of blessing in the kingdom. What we should do is say yes to keeping them and teaching them. But in verse 19, he used a word very far from yes. But it's not the word no. I don't know if you caught this word or not. See, no is just the opposite of yes. He didn't use the word no. He used a word that I believe really describes what many of us, many believers do. He used the word annul. Look at that with me again. He said, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom. So what does it mean? What does that mean to annul his commandments? Well, when you annul something, you basically reduce it to nothing, right? You, you minimize its value. You do away with it, which represents what so many of us do with God's word in various ways, even if not intentionally. See, Jesus knows, even though he's saying yes to us, and he's offering us the blessings of, of his kingdom, there are people who are going to take what he says and just disregard it, just minimize it, just kind of do away with it, right? And he's not even talking about the big things. Did you hear what he said? Whoever then annuls one of the what? Least of these commandments. The point being, they all matter. Ladies, we don't want to be in that group. We don't want to be the people who annul Jesus' commandments. But the reality is, we, and I say we, often are. Because there are things that Jesus has said that each of us have ignored or discounted or just reduced to no active meaning in our lives. God help us, right? And he is this weekend. 
this weekend. See, I believe this weekend he has invited you here because he wants to move us forward to being yes women. Women who draw near, women who hang on his, his every word and want to say yes. Like we're, we, he can't even finish the sentence and we're like, yep, 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 I, I, yes, that's me. Yes, I'll do it, Jesus, right? We want to be women who know what he says, who value what he says, who keep what he says and oh, the great blessings that brings about in the kingdom. See, it's all about keeping his words and teaching them. He said yes to keeping his word for us, right? Will we say yes? To keeping his word. See, that's why that word keep, got it right up here, is, was in the box, right? It was in the box. Jesus said, whoever keeps and teaches them shall be great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, in the original language, the word keep carried a twofold meaning, and I want to talk to you about that in a minute. It carried the meaning of to make and to do. So let me explain this a little more. Thinking in terms of Jesus' words, if I keep them, then I would make them valuable to me and to others, right? I would make them ready. I would make them available in my life. And I would also do them. It's making and doing. Meaning, I would carry them out doing them. I would execute them. I would perform them and live in them in my life. And you know what? As I do that, I would just naturally be teaching others. So you don't have to have a microphone in your hand to teach. Your life teaches by the way that you live your salt your light your teaching the way we live has an influence over others so i want to tell you a personal story of keeping and teaching um, to bring this to a place maybe you can relate to a little better so since about probably february of this year i have been keeping matthew 5 through 7 all right by making it really important in my life remember keeping is making and doing i've been making it important by reading it daily, memorizing it, writing about it, talking about it with anyone who would basically listen to me, right? Praying into it, basically just getting as near as I possibly could to what Jesus had to say in these chapters. So that was February, that all started. About mid-May, one morning, just doing normal life, and I had this conversation that just really hit me the wrong way. Ever had one of those? <laughs> so I had this conversation, and I got home that afternoon, and I knew that the Lord was drawing me to read. He could see how hungry I was for righteousness, right? And so even though I had spent time with him that morning, I knew he was drawing me. He wanted me to come back to the Sermon on the Mount, read it, meditate on it some more, sit with him, and, and just feast on what he had. But I was so restless about this conversation that was just rolling around in my head. Like I couldn't forget it. So I just kind of pushed back, you know, I just kind of resisted. I thought, well, let me check my email, let me have lunch, let me do these different things, and, and then I'll get to that. And basically, that's kind of my posture of heart all afternoon. And I was also anxious, and I was frustrated about this conversation. And as the day went on, all the way into the even, never did get in my Bible, and then that continued on through the night because I woke up multiple times, that conversation ever had that, you know, it's just rolling in my head, I didn't sleep well. I think you get the idea. So the next morning, God's so good, right? His mercies are new every morning. And I got up, went on my walk like I often do to go and walk and pray. And first thing, the Lord got my attention. And, and this is what he said. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. And he was just talking me through these nine blessings one by one. See, he showed me how my soul was impoverished with all this worry that morning. 
and how he had a righteous, peaceful, joyful way for me to be, even in the midst of this struggle. He listened as I mourned the wrongdoing in this conversation, because there absolutely was some, but he comforted me in it. He smiled at me as I leaned in meekly to him and trusted him and decided to do things his way instead of, you know, fighting and controlling in anger. He acknowledged my hunger and thirst for things to be right, and he promised me, as well, I'm just walking, talking, praying with God that he would fill them. He reminded me of how merciful he had been to me. And he encouraged me to be merciful, too, to this person. He showed me some places where my heart wasn't pure. Because I wasn't totally, like, innocent in this whole thing either. Because he wanted me to be able to see him working and what his plan was. He encouraged me in my peacemaking skills. He knows I have them, but sometimes they get a little rusty, right? So he reminded me, you're my child, and this is how we handle things like this. And then he cleared my eyes to see the eternal things while I struggled through this persecution, right? And I'll tell you, on that day, on that prayer walk, I learned a really precious way to keep and teach these blessings that Jesus offered to all of us. See, up until that morning, I, I knew the Beatitudes. I actually had memorized them by that point. I knew what they said. But that morning, I became even more of a keeper of them by making and doing in an even greater way that I already had been. See, I had been making them valuable by giving them my time and attention. And, and I had made them ready in my heart and my mind. I knew them. So when the Lord wanted to talk to me about them, I was already ready. But now I learned how to make provision of them. They became that sustenance that I needed to walk in, that wisdom that I needed, that, um, you know, the, the, the counsel of the Lord in my life. They were exactly what my restless heart needed. And had I come to Jesus the day before, when he was trying to get me to, I would have saved myself from all that turmoil because I know the very things that happened the next morning, he would have done that afternoon. And I would have had a great day and I would have slept well and he would have had even more blessings of another kind to give me. But I was resistant. I was basically annulling and just minimizing what I knew he was wanting me to do. Keeping is making and doing and making and doing will show up in different ways in our lives and I told you that story because I want you to see these things are not just reserved for when you're in church and you're talking about these kinds of things they get into the nitty-gritty of our lives and conversations that rub us the wrong way and all the other kinds of things and when we learn how to keep the teaching just naturally comes because you become so convinced of these blessings and you're living and walking in them and people around you will see you. I taught myself in that moment with the word of God and I know it was the Holy Spirit, but we were doing this together. I taught myself a whole new way to pray and it's transformed my prayer life. I pray through the Beatitudes a lot. Ever have moments in your life where you're like, I just don't even know what to say to God. I'm so, uh, you know. The Lord constantly pulls me back now to just get in those Beatitudes and center myself in these positions. And by the time I get to the end of it, I'm completely different from the inside out. It's, it's miraculous. And that's his word. That's how powerful his word is to us. From start to forever, Jesus has given us a posture of heart to center ourselves in. See, a lot of times I think we look at these Beatitudes kind of like a buffet. Oh, I'm feeling sad today, so I'll say, blessed are those who mourn, for I'll be comforted. And that's true, that is true. But that's like getting one little taste on the Costco sample when you could have the feast, right? And, and if you walk through the Beatitudes and you 
begin to see them as a picture of your salvation and then also living in them day to day, you get that whole complete flow of not only your salvation, but also the whole of just living day by day. This is so transformed the way that I see just day to day living and, and it's given me a pathway to walk on to know what kingdom living looks like. And, and I, I knew that the Lord was painting these pictures in my heart, but I knew as a teacher, I didn't know that I could totally speak it out in a way that you could grab hold of it all in like one teaching session. So there's something else in our box that I want to share with you tonight. And this right here, and it's this little chart, and I have some in the drawer back here. I'm going to put them on the table at the end if you want to grab hold of it. It's two sides. But this first column is the Beatitudes. This second column is how the Beatitudes are a picture of our salvation in Christ. This third column is a description of how they are a picture of our ongoing life in Christ. And I think this will be a really great resource for you. So I hope that you will choose to use it. But I'm going to hand that to you, Jessica. Thank you very much. All right. So back to where we were, back to this prayer. Learning how to pray into this kingdom flow of blessings. Learning how to work that into our lives and to praying for others too. You're gonna to find that tomorrow morning. We're gonna have a devotion for you to participate in and it's gonna talk you right through how to pray into those Beatitudes for yourself. Learning how to keep, how to make and do. And I think God is so creative. He can teach us how to make and do in so many ways. We just have to be willing to say, yes, I want to keep your word. Teach me how to do that, Lord. It's a great place of blessing. So Jesus had a really big meal for us tonight, right? Hopefully you're feeling full, but there's still one more image in the box. We'll call this one dessert, all right, to finish out our feast tonight. And I think he saved this last one on purpose because it's so powerful and it really brings all of this back together. And it is the gate. And so I'm going to have Christy, who has um, her verses from Matthew 7. We'll jump all the way over there. Verses 7 or chapter 7, 13 and 14, will you share what Jesus says there? Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who find it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few there are who So there's two gates, right, that Jesus speaks about. The narrow gate and the wide gate. And did you catch what Jesus said about both there? The wide gate is broad. So that means it's easy to find, easy to walk through, and it must seem pretty promising by the way it looks because it said a lot of people go through it, right? And yet, once you get inside, what do you find? It leads to destruction. But the narrow gate is small, very hard to find, and at face value, it must not seem too appealing because Jesus says not many people choose to go through it. But the amazing thing is, once you get inside, you realize what? It's the one that leads to life. Ladies, every one of these nine postures of heart, they are a narrow way to live. Most people will not readily choose to live like this, to admit you're poor and needy and can't do life on your own, to mourn the things that you did wrong, to admit the things you did wrong, right? your brokenness, to meekly trust God and just lean in without a wrestle, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful and pure in heart and to do the work with God, to be pure in heart, to be a peacemaker, to rejoice when you're persecuted. I mean, let's be real. Most people 
Don't live like that. They don't choose that. Those things are very hard to find. They're not popular. They don't even think, seem like they'll take you to anything valuable. In fact, at face value, they look like, uh, that's not a good decision, right? I don't think I'll do that. And when you think about the other things Jesus even talked to us about tonight, about flavoring and lighting up the world, what that costs and what that's like and keeping his word, those are narrow passages. But the amazing truth is this. And Jesus lets us in on it. He's so kind to us to say, pick the narrow gate. That's the better gate. That's the gate that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have specifically designed to lead us into a kingdom that is brimming with life. See, it's when you finally decide, I'm going to walk through this narrow gate, and it doesn't look like it's a good gate, but you know, okay, by faith, Jesus, I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to keep this word. I'm going to walk through this narrow gate, and you get in, you're like, whoa, Look at all of this in here. And I never knew it was there. It didn't look like it would be like this on the inside, but it is. But here's the thing, ladies. It takes our yes. It takes our yes for salvation. Yes to calling. Yes to the calling Jesus has given us to living in these attitudes. Yes to his redemption, to be salt and light. And yes to draw near to his every word and keep and teach it. I personally believe Jesus himself is the gate. Okay? Entering that narrow gate, it's all about saying yes to him. And this weekend, my prayer for all of us, I've told you, it's that, that resounding yes will come. And I know that many of us already have yeses. It's not like you walked in here and you'd, you'd only said yes to Jesus one time. Like we got some amazing women in the room, right, who are yes girls. I know that. But all of us, our yes can be strengthened. Our yes can be increased. Our yes can grow. And my prayer is that wherever you're at, that you leave here with a much stronger and a greater yes. See, he said yes to us, and he's waiting for us to say yes to him. Literally all over this Bible, there are hundreds of thousands of yes opportunities. But I think the Lord chose the Sermon on the Mount specifically for us because literally it's brimming with them. It's so many opportunities. So I want to let you know right now, this weekend is full of those opportunities. The Lord is going to get in your business. He's going to get in your business, and he's going to ask you to say yes. He's going to show us again and again. Here's the narrow gate. Are you willing to say yes to it? He's going to speak out his word, and he's going to ask you to keep it and to teach it. His salvation has already reflavored our salt and light. Like It's redeemed that, right? But he's going to ask us to put that into action in some intense ways. And he's going to bring us back again and again to the beginning of this sermon where he said yes to us, and he wants to know, will you say yes to me? So I hope you already are. In just a moment, Jessica's gonna come up here. She's our prayer director for the weekend. She's poured out her life in prayer for you. I can't even tell you how much. But she's gonna lead us in a special way in some prayers this weekend. I'm sure you realize the Lord's Prayer is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. We actually didn't give anybody those verses to memorize because we figured most of us already knew them and we also wanted to all have some focus on them. We actually included them on the back of your memorization card. So several times this weekend, we're gonna pray through the Lord's Prayer together and then we're gonna focus in on one of those lines of the prayer. Tonight, that line is going to be, thy kingdom come. See, when you say yes, to the nine attitudes of heart that Jesus gave us tonight. 
When you say yes to his salvation and his redemption in your life, when you say yes to keeping his word, do you know what you're really saying? Jesus, let your kingdom come in me. I want your kingdom. I need your kingdom. So we're going to all stand up now, and we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. We're going to go all the way through it. I'll lead that, and I don't want us to rush through it, because that can just become meaningless. Each line we say together, think through that a little bit. Engage with that line, and then when we get to the end, Jessica's going to pray into his kingdom coming in us. So pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.